following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Do you remember renting movies from a local video store? The perfect video store. Welcome to Blockbuster Video. Is popping up all over the country. Do you remember owning membership cards, dealing with late fees, and driving to several stores for the latest release? Right now, rent Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and Cobra for just a dollar a day each. Then sit back and listen to the stories of the men and women who were on the front lines of video stores in their heyday. Friendly people, fast computerized checkout, free membership, and all our rentals are for three days, two nights. This is Rental Return, Tales from the Video Store. Let's meet today's video hero and hear their story. My name is Russ Burlingame. I work at Emerald City Video in East Syracuse, New York, on again and off again between 2002 and about 2007. Now, let's get into this, Russ. What is your earliest memory of being inside a video rental store? You know, it's funny. Uh, I have weird memories in terms of video stores because my dad when i was a kid ran a local grocery store and it was like a full like supermarket size local grocery store that took up the whole bottom floor of this building that's now like six little bodega type storefronts and when i was a kid i distinctly remember they had a counter in the grocery store under glass where you could rent movies and there was only like maybe 20 things. The only ones I remember because of how young I was, was they had a couple of the beta tapes of the, the original Transformers animated series that they were renting. I think it was beta because we had beta for primarily back then. And I know we rented these many, many times. And then when I was maybe seven or eight, the guy who owned the grocery store bought the parcel of land across the street and he built like a gas station and the gas station had a video store like attached to it. That was an actual like proper video store instead of just the shelf. And it was, uh, it's like, it's called the depot and it, it's shaped like an old train depot because there's railroad tracks right across the way. So basically you can picture a long skinny thing and like the first two thirds are convenience store. And then the last third was just like the video store. And so I, that was my first real video store was going into this weird little mutant video store uh, at the depot. So what's funny to me is the first video store I went to as a kid was called Video Depot. So oh. that kind of cracks me up. <laughs> but, but also the idea that a lot of people, I think, forget, like, because they think of the big chains and eventually yeah. like supermarkets had their video sections and things like that. But in the early days, a lot of times, like, especially in a small town, like you said, it was just a yeah. business person that saw an opportunity. I know my wife, she grew up in a very small town in Montana, and it was the guy running who was like selling appliances. So she said you would yeah. go behind, you know, the washer and dryer, and then you would rent videos back there and get your VCR to take home, you know, so. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because back then, you figure like, it was coming off of the the, the wave of like, video clubs where it was literally like an ad in a paper and you had to wait for it to be mailed to you. 
Yeah. And so uh, one thing that I know about, you mentioned the beta side, you know, obviously you guys chose a format that was reported to be better quality and all those things, but didn't quite win the war. But there's another style of a home video that you are a fan of as well, that you and I kind of share a fondness for. What can you tell people about the uh, video disc select division? (laughs) Yes. uh, The capacitance electronic discs, I think they're called. Uh, And CEDs, it's funny because everybody, when you say video disc, most people immediately think you mean laser disc and you're just saying it in a really dumb way. But no, my primary way of viewing pre-recorded media for until I was like maybe 10 or 12 was actually these Selectivision discs because my parents did not have a lot of money, but my dad was always really into like entertainment stuff. The reason we had a beta is because as beta started to go out of fashion, dad bought one from somebody who was changing over to VHS through the paper. And so for video disc, like one of the things a lot of people don't remember is that when videotapes first came out before like Top Gun broke that mold, you had to buy basically the rental version of the cassette in order to own it. So you'd pay like 80 bucks and, uh, with video discs, the library was more limited and you couldn't record on them, obviously, but they retailed for more like $15, $20. Right. And just to describe it for people, they looked like a record album, but they were like yeah. a hard plastic and you would have to stick it into the machine and they would pull out a disc that was inside. And then halfway through the movie, you had to stick the tray back in. It would go in, you'd flip it over, stick it in again, and it would pull the second side out of the disc. It was like it was like a DVD record. Like it, it's a yeah. strange format. And you and I have connected over this, Russ, because I have two of the uh, Selectivision machines for over the years. And you had one in your home. We, we only had one briefly. I think my dad just rented it for like, a weekend or something but you actually grew up with that which i find so oh, fascinating yeah. well and my my dad i remember bought out an entire store when they were liquidating video discs and so we had like 400 video discs uh at one point we actually had the display rack like the selectivision display rack to put the video discs on from the store it was this giant very unattractive thing that i thought was just <laughs> the coolest So that was, you know, for years after they stopped existing, we still had and played and used our video disc player because it was just one of those things where when you have 400 tapes or 400 discs and a lot of them are like some of your favorite stuff ever, it's like, well, why get rid of it? I still have a couple of stacks around here. I don't have a working disc player, but I do have two disc players, one of which, as far as I can tell, the needle is good. The works are good. I need a new belt for it. And uh, I, I so I actually bought like a belt set. Wow. So I could do that. I just I haven't actually like broken it open and tried the various belts and tried to see if, if one of them is going to work. Because, of course, the ones I bought are not for the video display because they don't I don't think the parts for, for those have been available widely and forever. But uh, I bought a set of like 120 various different size belts. That was actually from a VCR repair kit, ironically enough. Wow. <laughs> so I, I let me ask you this then. So you're saying that you recall video rental stores that were stocking VHS, beta, and video disc at some point. I don't think I ever rented a video disc. I, oh, you, yeah, had, you had to purchase was, them outright. It was a okay. retail store that, that my dad had bought out. And I, I don't remember even 
the prop. Like, I don't think I ever saw one in a store. Like, wow. I was so young when they discontinued them that I think it would just be a thing that my dad would come home with. Uh, but yeah, we we had hundreds of those. I still have like probably 30, 40 of them kicking around here, including a couple of things that as far as I can tell are functionally lost media because they only were released on CED. So unless you have somebody who's a crazy person and is migrating CED content over to digital, uh, <laughs> like I have, a, I have a documentary uh, about the Yankees miracle year in 1978 that is like a two- video disc set which means you flip it over halfway through the first disc and then again halfway through the second disc and uh that thing as far as i can tell never got a vhs or beta release and so is only exists on ced and presumably like in some tv networks archives that they don't know that it's out that they even own it <laughs> yeah for those people that think beta is rare now consider ced the video yeah, disc well, <laughs> and, and especially working CED players are very expensive and very rare now because of the nature of it being a record. Like the, the soundtrack literally is a record. There is a stylus involved. So the stylus wears out. It breaks all the things that your regular needle does on a, on a record player. But it's super, super, super fine grooves. And so a standard record player stylus will not fix this problem for you. And so it's the stylus itself. Like if you have a, a, a disc player that's working except for the stylus, you basically have a brick because the stylus itself basically costs you as much to replace as just getting a different disc player. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now let's get back to the video store experience itself. So for you, was there a particular memory tied to walking the aisles of the store or renting a particular film or asking about a certain movie? Like what was the video store environment to you? What did it mean to you? When I was a kid, again, my dad owned this store and I used to, because the video store was across the street, we would sit on beer crates in the back room uh, around beer cases. And we basically created little chairs out of the beer. And then, <laughs> you know, a shelf next yeah. to the deli where we would sit and put the TV on the shelf and just watch. I remember watching Back to the Future for the first time on VHS in the back room of this supermarket. Like that was a very distinct, very kind of visceral. Like I remember walking around that tiny little video store in the uh, in the depot. I have a very distinct memory of this really oddly shaped small video store. And of course, you know, it, it doesn't exist now because they just knocked down the wall and replaced it with like a walk-in cooler or something. But later in life, uh, video stores became like I I worked at a number of video stores over a number of years during the time that I worked at Emerald City, I periodically would drift off to become an assistant manager at some other place and then come back to Emerald City, basically, because I, I lived in a city called Oswego, where I went to college. And they, the, the video store, the Emerald, Emerald City was about 40 minutes from Oswego. And Oswego is upstate New York, we get a just a ton of snow. And so it would often be like, it's not really worth for, you know, eight bucks an hour driving 40 minutes in a deadly snowstorm to go to Emerald City. So what if I took a job at Blockbuster where they have a location 15 minutes away? And actually they had one right next door, but nobody there was ever quitting because it was a college town. But so I, I went and I like was assistant manager of a Blockbuster in North Syracuse for a little while. And I just hated corporate culture. And so when my 
buddy who had been running the video store quit emerald city called me and was like hey if we match your money at blockbuster will you come manage our video store so i said yeah for sure and then later on i left emerald city for the last time and ended up working briefly at a, another blockbuster at one point there was a hollywood video in there although i think that was technically before i worked at emerald city and a movie gallery was actually the last movie video store that I worked at because there was a movie gallery in Utica where I worked when I came back upstate in like 2010. Wow. So Bob and Pop and then all the chains. So talk to us about Emerald City first. What was the appeal there? You said not into corporate culture. So what was the vibe of Emerald City? What was the, the draw there? It was the kind of video store that like you would see in a movie, honestly. It was a large store with just a ton of movies. We had an adult room uh, that generated, obviously, like 40% of our revenue. But the store itself was, because Syracuse is a college town, the philosophy was we wanted to have the biggest, most complete library that we could because then film students and stuff would come to us because Blockbuster obviously was limited by being Blockbuster and only being able slash willing to carry certain things. And so in our first location, it was just this big kind of cavernous, it's a dollar store now, room that we filled with, with movies. Then we moved to store two, as we called it, uh, shortly after I started working there. And store two was in a, a fancier plaza in a better part of town. And it was also very large. It had actually been a video store called Chimneys, which if you talk to anybody in Syracuse about video stores, they're going to be like, oh, Chimneys was always the best. Oh, okay. And Chimneys went out of business and we essentially moved into their location because we needed that much space. And and most of the time I worked at Emerald City, we were in Chimneys Plaza. Ironically, not named after the video store. It was literally named for having chimneys, like every you know <laughs> storefront. It's the the video store named itself after this weirdly specific feature of the building that they were in. And then later when they had a couple of different locations, it was like, why you're called chimneys? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so with but, Emerald City and, and the getting store two set up, like I am assuming you were involved in that. So yeah. what were kind of the things that made that one a bit of an upgrade? Like you say, no longer just a cavernous, let's throw videos out yeah. there. What was the appeal of the second store? The layout of the second store was a lot better, obviously, because it had been purpose built. I don't know if it was built to be chimneys, but certainly chimneys had been there for like 15 years. And so they did all the modifications to make it a video store type space. It's like you had a step down as you walked in. You had like a little cul-de-sac off to the side that became the adult room and that kind of thing where it was just like it was a it felt like it should be a video store in a way that the other location kind of just felt like a library. But also the guy who ran Emerald City was pretty financially well off. Uh, he was an accountant and he actually was, was uh, I don't remember if he was the president or if he was just one of the board members, but he was on the board for the VSDA, which is the Video Software Dealers of America. And they were basically, if you don't know, the VSDA did collective bargaining and purchasing for small video stores so that we could get essentially fair pricing compared to the chains because you can't discriminate based on the size of the business. And so the way that they would get around this was they would create bulk discounts. So it's like, we can't give Blockbuster a better price, but what we can do is say, you only get this good price 
if you buy 350 copies. And most small video stores can't afford to do that. So the VSDA basically would do collective bargaining and purchasing so that they could get the better prices. And then, you know, they would essentially distribute. But uh, so Jim had money and Jim had a real passion for this stuff and was part of the VSDA and all this kind of stuff. And so when we moved into store two and it was such a nicer space and it was a better part of town, he also brought in his personal collection of movie props. Oh, wow. And would hang them on the walls. And it was it was a weird thing because there was there was some stuff that was replicas and some stuff that was originals. And sometimes you didn't know which was which. Yeah. Like Um, what stands out to you as you think about what was on display there? Well, one of the, the, the biggest one that I know was a real thing that uh sticks out at me was we had one of the killer clown outfits whoa and that one was confusing because we had one of the real outfits and then we also had like a dummy clown that we just like put next to it to contextualize it's that kind of clown outfit you know (laughs) Uh, and so it was just like nobody's gonna know that the real one is real because there's a fake one right next to it um but we had, uh, I remember right near the cash rack, we had a copy of The Mummy that was signed by Steven Summers. We had, and then Jim would just go to these auctions and just buy a bunch of stuff. I think he bought a bunch of stuff in bulk when he got a really good price. Because I I remember he, uh, gosh, what was it? He, he, oh, we had a bunch of stuff from the Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas. Oh, you know what? I say superior to the original. I think that sequel captures the spirit of the cartoon much better. That's cool, though. Well, here's a funny thing that uh, you probably know, but I don't know if you do for sure. That script was having trouble, and they called in a couple of folks to rewrite it in order to, like, punch it up. And those folks were Harry Alphonse and Deborah Kaplan, who then would go on to direct Josie and the Pussycats. Which you were able to put a whole book together, an oral yeah. history of the making of that film. So for those of you who have not checked out Best Movie Ever, seek it out because it is, wow, quite a tome. <laughs> but yeah, so Harry and Deb worked on that movie. And so it was funny when I was talking to them, I was like, you know, I used to work at this video store where we had one of the stone poker tables. Um, and then we had a bunch of wardrobe from Riddick, I think. Oh. Uh, or not Riddick. Because Riddick was the more recent one. I don't know. Pitch whatever Black. the second Riddick movie was. Oh, okay. Chronicles of Riddick, I think. But it's it's like not Pitch Black, but the next Riddick movie. <laughs> we had a bunch of wardrobe from that, including the outfit, the entire like weird or elaborate outfit that uh, Ian Holm wore. I think Which I, I think that's the movie. That's the reason that we didn't get Vin Diesel in the second and third Fast and Furious films, right? Because yeah, he went to right. do that instead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, talk to me about moving to store two, though, like, again, with you're adding in, like, you have these props and things like that. Like, did you guys do a big promotion or just in general, would you guys run events for anything to get to drum up business? We would every so often. It was it was kind of weird and random what things we would do. And I think a lot of it had to do with, like, uh, the, the VSDA. If there was something that the VSDA was, like, actively involved in, we would because I remember we had a big party like a wedding party for my big fat Greek wedding where we served baklava and and like one of our employees at his family actually was like Greek, like first generation uh, immigrants. And so he had like traditional clothes that he wore and all that kind of stuff. I'm just imagining somebody walking around with like blue Kool-Aid in a Windex bottle, giving people squirts, you know? (laughs) 
We didn't do the Windex bottle, but we did have blue Kool-Aid, so you're very close. Oh, there it is. All right. See, I could have planned this thing. But within that, then, what were some of the best perks of working at the store for you? For me, it was just, it was one of those things where I, I liked, as a consumer, I enjoyed video stores. Like, I, I liked the atmosphere. I liked walking around. I liked to window shop. It, you know, and the same reason I like bookstores now, it's like you like to just walk around and kind of pick things up and look at the back. And, and so, like, I enjoyed being able to kind of do that while also working. Uh, and I like engaging with customers. So I really liked talking about movies and stuff with the people who would come into the store. And uh, did you have an expertise? Like where they go, oh, Russ is this guy. You know, he knows the sci-fi. He knows the foreign time, films I, or whatever. We had a We had a section called the cult section. And it was basically cult classics and campy movies and and stuff like that. I ended up being like the cult guy. And uh, also we had uh, later on at store two, we had the great director's wall where we had certain filmmakers who would basically get their entire filmography broken out of the, the normal part of the store. And they would, you know, be featured on this wall. And so it's like you had a Scorsese shelf, you had a David Lynch, you had Tarantino and whatever else. And I became the arbiter of who qualified as great. <laughs> um, so like we would put all of the like the names you think of when you think of great directors. And then it became like I'm the one who they would come to and be like, what do you think about Spike Lee? Uh, he's pretty young. Do you want to do that? And, you know, eventually uh, like we got Spike Lee and Spike Jones and Kevin Smith and stuff on there. Oh. So like I, I was the weirdly niche sections, I guess, is the answer. Like I, I would do cults and I would do great directors and stuff like that. And I, I somehow managed to luck out and be the only manager who didn't spend just a ton of time in the adult room. I feel like everybody else who was a manager ended up spending a lot of time both physically in the adult room and managing the adult room. And for me, it was like, basically, I always had a porn room manager and it was just... I was in charge of like stock and working with them and like doing special requests and stuff. Now, let me ask you this in the Emerald city specifically, was there a certain genre in your neck of the woods that you found was most in demand or was there a specific film that you remember everybody needed this movie? Uh, I mean, I mostly remember the movies that we didn't have or that were somehow weird and so people would come and look for it. And it's like, we only had one copy or we didn't have one or without a print or something. And so I remember like, I think it was Captain Ron for the longest time. <laughs> really? Like the VHS was out of print and they hadn't released the DVD yet. And there was one group of people who would come in rent from us who just asked about Captain Ron all the time. <laughs> I want to know, are they Martin Short fans or are they Kurt Russell fans? That's what uh, I want to know. How Who are they dedicated to? I, I feel like it's probably Kurt Russell, but uh, I, I can't remember who the customer was. So I'd have to, but we had a similar thing with uh, Eraserhead. Um, mm. When Eraserhead came to DVD at first, and again, I, I, this, I might be totally wrong on this, but I, this is how I remember it. Uh, when it first came to DVD, it was like a feature rich, like Criterion style DVD but you could only get it like from David Lynch's website and it cost mm. like $50. And so obviously Blockbuster was not doing that. And so we got one 
but then every film student wanted to come rent our copy of Eraserhead. And it was just like, we can't get more because it's $50 and it's a catalog title. And we had that thing. We had two different things. First of all, everything in the catalog is rent one, get one free. And secondly, everything in the catalog, you can do the five for five for five. You know, it was like five movies for five days for five bucks. And then I think when we when we moved from VHS to DVD, that went up to like 625. But we kept the five for five for the duration of the store's existence. But uh, that was actually funny. That was something we did not have at store one. We had to introduce at store two because it was like Chimney's big thing. Like the whole time Chimneys was around, they had this five for five deal. So and people were used to that basically. And you had to yeah, keep that, it going. especially in that physical location. It's like they would walk in. A lot of people honestly would walk in and just think that like Chimneys had rebranded because we moved in like maybe six months after they closed. The, the, the landlord didn't want a video store to be there at first because he's like, well, they were here for 15 years and everybody loved them and they just closed up shop. So clearly this is not a good place for a video store. And then he rented us a different location and it caught fire. And he was like, okay, I guess you can go to the Jimmy's place. <laughs> but, well, and then uh, as you're having these customer interactions, then whether they're demanding a film or, you know, because sometimes it feels like with the, the, the customers, like you say, they have an expectation that they come in, you've oh, yeah. changed things up a bit. Are there any crazy customer stories? Do you have any like outrageous yeah. moments you recall? I mean, we had a lot of crazy customer stories not very many that are super bad, but like, I remember uh, there was one guy who like tried to start a fight with when I was the assistant manager and my buddy Logan was the manager. He like tried to start a fight with Logan and had to be removed from the premises by police Wow! over late fees. And I remember it because uh, a, he was a regular and we didn't see it coming at all because he was like a normal dude and very nice guy. And B it was kind of funny because he was like, screaming obscenities and trying to start a fight and trying to be super intimidating but he had like a promotional jacket on from the VHS release of the incredibles <laughs> and so i just remember this guy in an incredibles jacket throwing a temper tantrum in the middle of the store <laughs> and so uh, should have been a jacket from mystery man ben Siller, mr furious right no i also we had a we had this one family who were like day one store one customers. Their member number was like seven. And they essentially wanted all of the special treatment in the world because they'd been there so long. They would be like, oh, well, they used to do this thing at store one. I need you to do that here, even though you don't do it anymore. That kind of thing. And they were such a pain in the butt that the manager or the owner would basically just be like, just do it. It's not worth the trouble. But also, they used to come in on Tuesday and rent every single new release the minute it came in. And I remember one week, uh, I was opening on either Wednesday or Thursday. I pulled in the uh, the drop garbage can, you know. And as I'm checking stuff in, all of their movies had been returned with blank tapes in them. So what happened was that they essentially rented everything on the release day and then illegally copied it and returned it to us, which we knew because obviously you can't really sit down and meaningfully watch 12 movies every single Tuesday, but we knew it, but it's like, what are you going to do? And then they returned the blanks to us one day instead of the, re- they must've just like had two stacks mm-hmm. and absentmindedly put the wrong stack back into the boxes. And there was like seven or eight of them. And I just remember 
calling them and them being because they were them and they were so high maintenance they were like we're gonna be over there by noon you can't charge us late fees we did our best to return it and i'm just sitting here going like man like i won't charge you late fees because i understand the mix-up at the same time don't throw a temper tantrum at me when i've just caught you red-handed copying <laughs> every video in our store yeah <laughs> oh that is uh, wild uh now let's talk about this then so moving away from from emerald city when you started you know again working at blockbuster video working at movie gallery you know and, and, wow. and moving to the other the the big chains what was the biggest difference you noticed you know you said like what became the, the thing you did not enjoy about it or were there any things you enjoyed about those experiences i mean there were definitely things i enjoyed about those experiences i i, I talk like i'm a talker and so i i enjoy engaging with customers and talking about interesting things and so like no matter what video store i was at i'm still working at a video store and you know there's a lot of commonality there and there's a lot of fun with the customers and stuff like that the thing i hated the most at blockbuster was the mandatory upselling was the whole corporate thing of like you got to make sure that you ask every single person if they want to get a blockbuster rewards card and if they have a blockbuster rewards card you have to ask them if they want our three cokes for two dollars promotion that's going you know it's like you had this flow chart it was like if they have this thing and you've already upsold them that thing then you have to move down the checklist to the next to the next to the next it's like there was never a time when it was acceptable to just ring out the customer and let them leave unmolested yeah and yeah that definitely i could see how that would get grading over time and i'm curious too because you talked about the limited selection at blockbuster right you know they're only going to carry certain titles and for a certain amount of time and all that did you ever have to refer someone to emerald city be like they have a way better selection you want this movie you got to go over there or was that a no-no uh, it was a no-no. I still did it occasionally, but also the Blockbuster that I worked at, like I said, I specifically was working at a Blockbuster that was 20 minutes closer to my house than Emerald was. And so it was like, unless they really needed it and or it was a really obscure thing I knew nobody else was going to have, I wouldn't point them to Emerald City because it entailed not only like violating policy by sending them to another video store, but also kind of more importantly, telling them to go drive 25 minutes to get something that's probably in stock, but I can't guarantee it because it's not my store, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, but we did, I did occasionally, and especially when, when we were training for Blockbuster, it's funny, the, the DeWitt store was our regional training store. And DeWitt is, I'll be generous and say three football fields away from store two. Oh, wow. Okay. And so when I was training at DeWitt, people would come in who were like, emerald city regulars and be like are you working here now um, <laughs> no man i'm gonna run the north i'm gonna run the north syracuse store they just had me here for two weeks but like when i was training or whenever i had to go to dewitt for whatever reason which happens so every so often uh i often sent people down the street there because it was like no it's like right around the corner and i guarantee they have it <laughs> and then about you know moving on to movie gallery now is that like just like a step down for blockbuster how would you describe the movie gallery setup and experience the way they ran things it felt really similar to blockbuster honestly but again like by that time it also like blockbuster was i think mostly gone or possibly was gone as a corporate entity by the time i was at movie gallery because when i was there it was like 2009 2010 so it was very much like it, it felt actually pretty much indistinguishable from when I was, you know, 19 and working at Hollywood Video. They both 
were very similar to Blockbuster, but not quite. It's it's hard to explain what the differences were. I can't remember the ins and outs of it right now. Well, and so we, we've talked to somebody who worked a Hollywood video that like had to wear the whole Usher costume as an employee. Was that part of your experience? No, uh, they, I didn't have to wear the whole costume. They had like a vest that they made everybody wear. I don't know if that was a question of they had already kind of started to chill by the time I was there or if it was <laughs> just the part of town I was in where it was like, because that particular store was in the very worst part of the like city of Syracuse. And so there was a lot of things that uh, seemed to happen. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Can you, can you point out a specific incident at Hollywood Video that maybe was a little shady? It wasn't even shady. It was just a question of like, theft was super, super high in that store. Oh. Um, they didn't do people solids in the way that you do at a video store because it was like, these are poor people who are stealing from us. Therefore, we aren't going to waive their late fee. And so it was a, it was hard to deal with people there because we had a lot less leverage because you had corporate telling you you couldn't bend as much for them as you would. What, what was being stolen? Just literal, they come in big jackets and steal videotape or what? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, okay. And we, there were a couple of professional thieves that I remember from the, the various stores that I worked at. Like you had, you had these people who were regulars at basically every store we had this guy mr saeed and he ran he had like a little mini empire of local convenience stores and so he would get those previewed tapes that that you would get you know you used to buy in bins at the convenience store Mm -hmm. and he would bring boxes of tapes or later dvds to try to sell for store credit at emerald city video because we did buy sell trade and he would like come and he'd try to sell them. And and a lot of the time it'd be like, you know, we're limited to 125 bucks a day total for buying stuff. And so I'm not going to buy your entire giant box of stuff, which is mostly crap because then I can't buy something else good that comes in. And, you know, the fight that I ended up having with my managers ultimately that I like the last time I quit that store was actually because there was always a give and take of like, how much can we buy? And like, how, sh- how much should we buy it for? And blah, 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 blah. Like and the, the question of like meeting customer demand and trying to help people versus like trying to run a business profitably. And, and that was actually, it was literally, it wasn't about the buy, sell, trade stuff. It was just about stock that I ended up, um, I, like I ended up buying more copies of Sin City than they wanted to buy and bought them out of pocket and they wouldn't reimburse me for some of them. And so I ended up like, selling them to the store for two bucks a piece later just to get rid of them. And that was <laughs> the, that started the fight that ended my, my time there. Wow. Um, but like, so Mr. Saeed would come in, he'd do all this. He was a giant pain in the butt. And he always tried to haggle, which nobody else haggled to video store, you know. But when I left Emerald City and went to Blockbuster, Blockbuster was then, because it was like 2005-ish, Blockbuster was piloting a program for buy, sell, trade. And my first day at my new store, Mr. Saeed walks in with a box of DVDs. And I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. I can't get rid of this guy. I was 20 minutes away. Like, <laughs> And at that same store, we had a woman who, who was called the Staple Lady. The Staple Lady was a well-known shoplifter and had been arrested numerous times for shoplifting from video stores in the area. For whatever reason, Blockbuster would not let us just bar her from the building. 
she was barred from the Blockbuster and DeWitt because she got caught stealing from them, but apparently it was not a district-wide ban. And so we couldn't bar her from the building, so we had to like aggressively customer service her and follow her around the store. And the reason we called her the staple lady is because I don't know if it's true or not. She claimed that she had a medical staple in her knee joint, which is what would set off the alarms. Oh, wow. And I will say she set them off on both the way in and the way out because that's how she kind of justified. No, look, I'm not stealing. Remember, it went off when I came in, too. Wow. What a wow. She had it figured out. Yeah. Yeah. And she was super skinny. And so it's one of those things where she would wear like a long kind of quasi puffy jacket. And it was hard to tell if she had stuff in it because she was so skinny and the jacket being puffy. It's just like she disappeared into it. <laughs> well, now let's talk a little bit about because I don't know how uh, much uh, a part theft played in uh, bringing down the video rental business. But obviously you were there during this period as it was just slowly declining, declining, declining to where yeah. it existed no more. So did you leave the video rental side of things because the business literally shut down and there was no other place to work? Or was there another reason behind that? And what are your memories of the closing of all these stores and chains? Yeah, it was, it was interesting. I When I was at the last store at the movie gallery, I actually had two movie galleries that I worked at. Actually, that might not be true. The last one might have been a Hollywood. I have so many that I've... But whatever the last store was that I worked at, we started the process of like liquidating and we weren't closing down yet. But we were doing that thing where it's like we have to prepare ourselves to go to a smaller location. And so I remember like there being a policy where you could rent. They, they basically, you know how Family Video had that thing where it's like you can rent this for three bucks or if you take the whole thing to the front, we'll let you buy it for 10. We started doing that with like every tape in the store where it was just wow, like okay. anything in the store, you can rent it or you can buy it if you want to. And I, I just I remember that very distinctly as like one of the last desperate attempts to like make the store profitable. I didn't leave because video was dying, but I probably would have continued working at video stores if the opportunity had been there. The last time that I left a video store, it was literally, I had an argument with a customer and after the argument was over, I slammed the drawer behind me which was like we had video games that the games were not in we had them all in a cabinet uh, to prevent stealing and so we had these giant metal heavy filing cabinets behind us full of video games and i slammed the uh the thing because i was so pissed and i can't remember who it was if it was like an employee or if it was a customer but somebody complained to the manager that they felt unsafe and the manager called me in to yell at me for it. And I'm just like, this is an absurd conversation. I'm leaving. <laughs> and, and that was the end of my, like, after a decade or whatever it had been with video stores, that was the last one was just me being like, I refuse to get in trouble for this very stupid thing. I'm sorry, but I have to go now. <laughs> wow. And so during the liquidation times leading up to that, all that, did you bring like a stack of tapes home? Did you build up your own collection? Do you have oh, mementos sure. from all of those different stores or anything I like don't that? Because I was so broke in my twenties and thirties that I ended up selling basically anything that I owned. 
back then. I, I do have a handful of little things from the different from different stores, but I don't like I don't have any specific mementos from my blockbuster say. I have like a collection of blockbuster merch that's pretty extensive, but like not none of it came from my store. And similarly, I I have some stuff from movie gallery and Hollywood, but none of it came from my stores. Actually, I have a small collection of VHS copies of Josie and the Pussycats. <laughs> yes. Um, that are all from different video retailers with like that's fun wow video, uh stickers on them it was kind of inspired by uh, there was this great documentary called wolfman's got nards yep. which was about the making of the monster squad and well it, uh, and sean robert the video collector in that is yeah. a friend of mine oh, and yeah? so my, uh, yeah he's a friend of mine so he does monster squad i do troop beverly hills so oh, I have copies cool. of Troop Beverly Hills from all over the world, from everything like that. So it's just, it's well, very fun. I can fun. tell him that I started, I started a Josie collection inspired yeah. by series in that movie. Um, <laughs> I will let him know. That's awesome. So as we close out here, Russ, just when you think back, I mean, working for that long in so many locations for so many different video rental companies and stores, what is your just favorite memory of the experience? Is there something that jumps out to be like, this is what it was all about for me. This is why I was there. It really was about customer interactions. Like I really enjoyed talking to our regulars about the movies, about stuff, and ultimately about life. So I'll, I'll share a, a kind of fun anecdote that's a good place to close out probably. There were these three girls who were a few years younger than us who were all very attractive. And they used to come into the video store as like a group all the time. And this is Emerald City. And in Emerald City, because we had flexibility and no corporate overlords, there would be notes on customers' account that would say, like, this girl's really hot or, you know, whatever. <laughs> and as manager, I told people they could not do that anymore. And then immediately somebody came up with the brilliant idea that instead of just saying this person's really hot, they would just put five stars at the top of their profile. And it just meant this girl's really hot, but like it couldn't accidentally be seen by a customer leaning too far over. And I was like, that's fine, whatever. So. These three, I want to say I was like 25 and these girls were between 19 and 22. All very beautiful, all had little stars in their rental accounts. And they would come in and they would ask us for recommendations and they would like walk around the store with us when the store wasn't super busy and like ask us questions about specific movies and ask us for recommendations and all this stuff and develop this kind of relationship where when we saw them come in, we knew if we weren't super busy, one of us would like break off and walk the store. And if we recommended something to them that they really liked, they would leave us a note in the cassette, like in the movie, so that when we opened it to make sure that it was returned properly, there would be a note from these girls uh. what they liked about the movie. And I still have one of those, which I think there's a picture of on my Facebook page. But the thing that was really cool about these girls is I was completely unaware at the time that one of these girls had a huge crush on me. And at the time I was in a relationship, I had been, I was in a relationship for like years. And so I, I was totally oblivious. And they, at one point they got mad at me because I mentioned my girlfriend and they did not know that I had one. And I did not know that one of them had a crush on me. So I had no idea that I was like betraying them somehow by having a girlfriend. Years later, after the video store was closed and I'd like moved back up to upstate New York. I was house sitting for a friend in Syracuse and I saw one of these three girls was on Facebook at the time that I was on. So I just like sent her a message like, Hey, 
I'm house sitting like two miles from where you are. If you want to come over and like have pizza and watch a movie sometime, that'd be cool. And skipping right to the punchline, I'm now married to that girl. Wow. Um, that's how I found out that she'd had a crush on me years and years ago is because when we first started dating, she was like, basically, I got an ultimatum almost immediately that was like, hey, if we're going to do this, then we've got to be like a couple couple, not you, you can't like be dating other people because I had a crush on you 10 years ago and it didn't go well for me. And I was just like, oh, I had no idea because I'm totally oblivious. But so, yeah, we. Uh, Russ, you got to write that movie. Love at the video store. We need it. You know, what's ironic about it, too, is I met my wife at the video store. I had never been as like a teenager or a, like somebody who grew up in the area. I'd never been to Emerald City because Chimneys was closer and it was the store. And when I was, I want to say 21, the girl who I was dating at the time, who I'm still friends with, brought me to Emerald City. And on like the day that I first got there, they were hiring. And so I ended up, my ex-girlfriend brought me to this place I'd never heard of. And as a result, I ended up meeting my wife. <laughs> that is an amazing bookend. Wow. Well, Russ, thank you for sharing your journey with us. Cause Absolutely. man, this was a wild, wild time. <laughs> I, I'll, all the twists and turns of that lovey-dovey ending. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I love I love video stores. I miss them terribly. When I go to Atlanta, which I do sometimes for work because I go visit sets and stuff, I always make sure to stop in the Videodrome and buy some stuff because it's such a cool store. And it really, if you've ever been there or seen inside of it, it really reminds me of the Emerald City video in there. And it's oh. like always just right in the heartstrings. I'm like, oh, I miss places like this. And that's what it's all about. Places where uh, people have a lot of fun. You know, I, when last time I was at Videodrome, they had a giant handmade sticker on the front of Suicide Squad that said Academy Award winner. Uh, <laughs> similarly, when I went to uh, Black Dog in Vancouver, which is now named something else, but uh, Black Dog Video in Vancouver, I remember they had, oh, shoot, there was a, a movie, and now, of course, I can't remember the name of it, but it's uh, it was like a Blumhouse action movie about a guy who, like, was being controlled remotely and could do super kung fu. And uh, the sticker that the employee put on it is, it's like Knight Rider, except your body's the car. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but you just, yeah, like you say, you find your people, you find the community, and ultimately that's what it's about. That's what it's about for you. You found love and friendship and everything else at the video store. So that is so great, Russ. Thanks for listening and subscribing to Rental Return. Check today's show notes to connect with our featured video hero. Also follow at TRN Social on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for more on Season 3 and to leave feedback. If you're a former video store employee and want to chronicle your story for an upcoming season of Rental Return, connect with host Adam on Twitter at HojuKoolander or send him an email at HojuKoolander at gmail.com. Links also in today's show notes. If you'd like to become a VIP of the Retro Network and show your support for Rental Return and other network shows, visit patreon.com forward slash the retro network. Your VIP status gets your name in the show notes, access to the VIP lounge chat on Slack, and exclusive content. 
Join us next time for more Tales from the Video Store on Rental Return. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.